As I have gone back and listened to my rhetorical life and heard my voice muse upon my becoming and evolving, I've noticed a pattern in my words. I realize I have a hesitancy to share my thoughts and I know that must be common in others. And in this hesitancy, there is a desire I'm recognizing for a safe place to speak. I hear myself pausing and breathing and then grabbing a breath and surging forward, almost with fingers crossed that someone will hear me. And it makes me see that even though I am a successful mother and teacher and writer already, I am still searching for confidence. And writing and reading, this is where I find the place to retreat and go into myself, dig up, do the work, and come out with confidence. But it's really through the listening of other stories first that I discover echoes of my own words and I find encouragement that I too can speak. I'm not alone in my desire to claim my voice. I found a lot of this idea in Krista Radcliffe's article called Rhetorical Listening. She recognizes that we need to listen to the stories of others because people really learn from the sharing of experiences. And I think what she means there is that we learn about ourselves as much as we learn about the world. She says that the value of listening to the discourse of others is found when we do hear another voice alongside or juxtaposed our own. And she reminds us that we should question ourselves then in response. We question our attitudes, our actions to determine where we need to affirm, revise, or reject them. So it is Radcliffe admitting that in this questioning that we sometimes can become uncomfortable, but she says that is this questioning, if it does make us more uncomfortable, she says, so be it. So I'm going to jump in and listen to more conversations and try to hear them in a way that Radcliffe has also suggested. So here's what you have in the first of hopefully many conversations in which this podcast will take uh, a turn here after we've uncovered my own rhetorical beginning. I thought it would be neat to look at other people's stories and what is their rhetorical life. And in hearing their words, I'm hoping that we find voices that are unique and also voices that are familiar. So maybe we validate our own growth and we also question it. My first guest is my dear friend, Amanda, who makes me feel safe and confident, yet she challenges me to grow every time we're together. So I want you to listen in as we talk about her rhetorical life, and maybe you, as well as me, will find ourselves in the conversation and even a better version of ourselves as we listen with the intent to receive. So I hope you enjoy our conversation together about our rhetorical lives. So, okay. um, okay. So I guess if we were to look at your like literacy journey, if you can think back to like when you were like a child or teens, whatever age you want to start with, but, um, just, is there something, uh, that when did you know you were going to be a reader? Like, Mm. I guess, I was always a reader. I mean, and that's so, um, I think that's kind of the case. Like I was a child who was read to, 
you know, a lot as a kid, as a really, really young kid, always bedtime stories. Um, and I really think that is so important. I think it was so important to me, to me, um, because I can remember vividly like the corduroy book that I had as a kid. I still have that book. And that, that book was amazing to me because, um, the little girl lived in an apartment building and she lived in the city. And mm -hmm. like, I could just tell that there was a little something more to that story than I really got at the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, I just remember the being like, are you a bear? Is that yes, right? Yes. It's the bear. And it's like, button. yes, she sees him. I still have the book, but she sees him on the shelf at the store and they can't get it. Uh -huh. Um, you know, her mom can't get it for her. And so, and again, I'm like, just remembering this. I don't know. But then he has a button missing and he goes through this whole, like he gets up at night and he's like wandering all around the mall or whatever and has this grand adventure and then ends up with this girl and she sews his little button back on at the end. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, but yeah, like I loved reading and um, I think I was an early reader um but i don't you know like i i wasn't like reading full books at two but i i just was always a reader and you know when i think about literacy again i think about this speaking reading listening all of that stuff because i i just love stories i think is what it's always mm -hmm. been for me and in any form when i was five years old i had a little fisher price um recorder if you remember those, the like little brown box. And I a tape was recorder. a, yes, a little tape recorder, Fisher Price tape recorder that I got when I was <clears throat> five years old. And I would carry it around and I had tapes and tapes and tapes of all these interviews that I did with everyone in my family all the time. I was just constantly carrying it around and like talking to people and telling little stories and then listening back and laughing at what we talked about. And, um, it, it was, uh, it was just me, I think, narrating my life, you know, like I had mm -hmm. this kind of pull to narrate my own world um, and yeah. see the stories in it, which, of course, I am saying this now so many years later um, and listening to other people like talking to me. I just couldn't get enough of it. Uh, like, tell me a story. I so can just imagine you with a little tape recorder. I just oh, love that, a little Fisher Price oh one. And that would be, um, you know, I say this because you and I often talk about um, writing television series and screenplays and different things, right? Which mm -hmm. we've yet to do, but we started a few. We have um, started many and that's a, a lot. Yeah, I can see a character like doing that though, like walking around and maybe in modern times that would be like uh, filming you know, with a camera, I mean, yeah. with a phone, you know, something um, like what that looks like today um, might be a little different than the Fisher Price tape recorder, but yeah. I can, I can connect with that and visualize it. Um, and, and I don't have any of those. I don't have any of those tapes. I don't know where any of those are, but I, uh, I just cannot imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It would be a real time capsule. You could ask your mom. I wonder if your mom has them. She might in the attic. I'd have to go crawling in there myself and I don't really want to. Um, yeah. But it's, it's funny when you were first telling me about this, um, I said, like, I just kind of thinking about it and I, 
I stopped myself because I had this immediate reaction. Like I wanted to go and dig up like the most obscure authors and books so I could sound like this incredibly <laughs> robust reader, right? And I was like, no, let me just keep it real. But I really can't trace every like important step in my life through the books that I was reading at the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, but I, I like to, um, that the other thing that I hear in there when I, when I'm talking with you is how very quickly you're tying, um, speaking and listening to reading. Um, like mm -hmm. I didn't ask you a question about speaking or listening and you already were like, oh, you had this tape recorder and you were narrating and thinking of those things. So it's, you're very conscious of literacy being, uh, more than reading. Um, it's just, yeah. it's language, it's words. So I think yeah. I got, I think I gave myself an easy subject by choosing you. Yeah. <laughs> and right. yeah, cause I don't know that everybody would go there immediately, but that's cool that you did. Yeah. And I think again, like storytelling, I'm obsessed with people like David Sedaris now as an adult and he is a writer, mm -hmm. but everything he, every story he writes can all it's, it's written in a way that it can also be told out loud um mm -hmm. and i i mean i don't know yeah. where that comes from but just <clears throat> you think about people in general we were telling each other stories before we ever wrote any of them down right so mm -hmm. you know it, it originates i think like literacy originates with with those stories um and it's a, they're different you know it's different medium um so i, I that does fascinate me how we can mm -hmm. tell a story in so many different ways. I'm going to say story a thousand times and that's okay. That That's okay. That's what this is all about. Um, okay. So I, it is so interesting and easy for you to talk about writing and books and reading and to blend these things together. So I'm interested in um, books that have challenged you or um, maybe have, I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this question, but I'm just curious yeah. about a time when it felt challenging for you to read. It was like maybe because the idea you encountered was a challenge or maybe, I don't know, something at I, school in your teenage years or something. I'm just curious. I love this question and I have two different answers. So one of them is Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. And that book was challenging because it's, and it's, it's like famous for being a hard read. Um, it's incredibly dense. Um, it's, you know, it's famous. Like I, there's this funny New Yorker essay that's like how to read infinite jest. And it's like, set it on a shelf for two years and then make sure you take a selfie and it's in the background. So everyone knows you've read infinite jest and they, okay, you know, wait, 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 that my book for that is okay. the one, oh, she, I'm not going to think of the name of it, but um, the French guy. Oh, it's super thick. Mm. And is everyone, it a French book? Is it in French? It's it's Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre. Okay. Um, but um, I, I can't remember yeah. the name of it. But anyway, everyone yeah. for some reason it's a well-known book, and but it wasn't well known to me. And I'm like, I studied French, and I'm an English major, and I don't know this book. But almost everyone at school who knows I'm an English teacher expects me to have read the book. So I eventually got it and it's like two inches 
thick and I'm like, I cannot, this is not my cup of tea, but I just feel like I should, you know, but anyway, so keep going. So sit on your shelf or you take your selfie with it. Yes. But infinite, infinite. Well, and that's, but that also brings up this whole interesting conversation. Like when you're a reader, who your readership circle is and like, what are the books you're quote unquote supposed to have read and there are just so many books so that obviously we could parse out a lot of conversations there but infinite jest was a challenge just the reading of it i would read three pages and go i don't know what i just read and i Mm -hmm. that's hard for me because i think of myself as a, a i'm a good reader and i'm a thinker when i read and i like you know i like big questions and it was intimidating. So honestly, that book was a challenge just to get through. Um, and I'm not even really sure if I could tell you what it was about. And I did eventually actually read the words. So again, I read it, but there was a lot of, um, gaps in my literacy in in that Mm -hmm. book somehow. Um, and then another way that I've really been challenged with books was when I was early in my motherhood journey, I read too many books about parenting. <laughs> that too can be a problem. I did. Then if you're, yes. And I, I, I got really stressed out and challenged by the ideas in the book about the kind of mom that I was supposed to be, you know, and you know, the, the books like instruction manuals, um, I can remember reading for how to make sure your child will sleep and if and then it didn't work for me and i i would become mm-hmm. and i found that was all very challenging so i don't know if those are really the ways in which you meant that but those that's just what came to mind um immediately. yeah i absolutely um i didn't really know where i was going with that so i, I was just curious um if if somebody who considers themselves a reader can can find challenges in reading still um, and oh I didn't know if it would be discouraging or, yeah. See, so well, had I found, I mean, it was, I think it could be discouraging. Like I think about that, um, mm-hmm. again, when we're, when we're giving books to kids, you don't want, it can't be too challenging or they, it doesn't, it's not enjoyable. Right. Um, right. And that book was not enjoyable for me, but I was just at a point where it didn't matter. I just really, I wanted that challenge. I like really needed to be able to be a person who read that book. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, yeah, a book. I was just gonna say, a book can can feel like a victory at sometimes if mm-hmm. um, in a situation like that for me. Um, but I feel like in my students, when I, if I think about my classroom experience with kids, um, I, yeah, I guess there are some students who like, they, they carry a book around like a trophy. I have a girl right now in clearly, um, just like top notch student. And she's, um, carrying around the, I don't even know how to say the title, like the Amy Ingrid, like, oh, she's a Latin person. Yeah. How do you say it? Aeneid? Aeneid? And the Iliad and the Aeneid. 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 So she's uh, reading that and she's loving it. And she just kind of, kind of acts like it's not a book for most people. And she's taking this great amount of pride in that she's reading that. And so. 
I don't know yeah. if it's the same as what you're saying, but it just is a, sometimes finding a book that can speak to you can, yeah. can be, um, of course, such a comfort, um, you mm -hmm. know, I think. Yeah. And, and I and really, also, yeah. I mean, I, and I think I'm at a place now where I would tell people read anything, anything that is enjoyable to you. And I think, you know, the idea of taste, just follow whatever your taste is. And I think when you do that, you, you know, you want like a little bit of a challenge, whether it's ideas, because I, and I know you would agree with this too, like read stories and books that were written by people whose lives are in, would seem insane compared to you. Um, mm -hmm. I read like when I was in my early twenties, I, I read like the electric Kool-Aid acid test, which is a book by Tom Wolf that is like supposed to be the, you know, the like opus of the sixties psychedelic culture. Um, and it was just fascinating to read because, you know, I grew up the opposite of that. <laughs> um, and you know, so like reading challenging, I like challenging like that, where it's something like where values are different from what you have believed your values to be. I mean, that's, you know, those are, I think those are beautiful moments to have and important moments to have as a person to, um, to challenge yourself in that way, you know, and to, to see what other, um, like value sets and, and ways that people look at morality. And um, when you start talking about reading those books that have the big questions in them. And um, I mean, I, I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've mentioned already that you are a mother uh, and um, I'm just gonna, um, I guess, go on with a question about uh, literacy in your children's lives, mm. which uh, the assignment was really, you know, pick a person and see how literacy is involved in their life. But seeing that you're a mother, um, I'm curious in your children, do you find that they, um, what, do you have any insight about what role it plays in their lives? Maybe like pick one daughter and kind of just, if you can, as an outsider looking in, oh, trying wow. to read that, can you see anything there? That's very cool. Um, my older daughter ha has always been a reader um, and she loves graphic novels. Mm -hmm. And I, it's been really important to me, like I said, to just really let her read what she wants to. So, and that's hard because we'll go and I'm like, okay, let's read. How about um, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, right? Like some of those like classic tales that you feel like if my kid doesn't read this by 10. And again, like these are like ideas you get when you're a person, like I was an English major. I was like, you get sort of mired in these ideas, which is why I was saying I kind of like, like if I get rid of the academics of it, she has found so many stories that she relates to and connects to. Or, and just thinks are fun stories to read. Um, let's see. The the only time as of yet that um, she's read a book and then kind of had questions or it seemed like she was like kind of stuck with something. She read this book called The War That Saved My Life. 
I have no idea who the author is, but it's about this girl. Maybe it's World War II, but this girl, um, her mother is horrible to her and she and her brother run away and and then some you know the war is like the context of the story but you know she i think it was the first time she noticed um that she noticed the struggle that someone was having in a book because a lot of what she's read are these like fun stories of like middle school kids and and i mean the, it gets into real stuff but what am I even trying to say here? Just to why, usually she just reads and it's just a fun thing, which I think that it should be. But I guess what I'm saying is I have picked up on this, seeing my child um, like internalizing stories or noticing the bigger issues that a book is, is, is questioning or dealing with for the first time. Okay. Okay. Um, cool. I, I do think um, I remember myself. I'm going a little off the script here, but I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I I remember when I was young, I read my one of my favorite series was the Boxcar Children. Mm -hmm. Do you know that? Yeah. Anyway, for I was thinking there oh, there's a lot there's so many books of kids who don't have parents, mm. and for some reason, even, even Disney films, right? Just very common that one of the parental figure, figures is like completely missing. And I, I don't know why that's compelling for children to read that, except that it allows you more freedom. Mm. And I come from a family where it's very, um, I mean, my mom was pretty, she's a great mom. She's pretty controlling and present in my life. And my dad was just a happy sidekick. But um, I just, when I would read books of characters who didn't have parents, at the time, I didn't know it. But you just like looking back, Journey of Natty Gann, it's a girl with her mm. dog traveling across country to find her parents. So I'm not saying the parent had to be gone, but just it was always that the character was having independently. And it was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was like, I didn't really have that independence and I was kind of longing for it. And so it was very attractive to me in all the books when they're like, yeah, they're living on their own in a box car. <laughs> I love that. Just the, the word freedom, you know, that like reading yeah. gives you freedom, which is just, you know, it's like, is that the cliche thing to say? But that's the point is that you can dip into anywhere. You can be Natty Gan. You can be these orphans in a box car and sort of like, like, what would that feel like? Right? Like what, you know, because there, I remember the box car children. There's this like romanticized, like that, what a dream. <laughs> and like, because seriously, I, like they're living in a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I remember, I remember feeling like that, like anything else must be so much more fun than this. Yeah, I, I just felt like bored somehow and just felt like there, man, all this excitement is, um, it's gotta yeah. be, they must be having the greatest time. Yeah. And I feel, I don't know what it is about kids these days. If it, maybe I'm like imagining younger than what I'm teaching, but my students, they just, um, and again, I'm generalizing as you would have to, but, um, I just see 
this desire for adventure is like lacking mm. in teenagers these days. There, there's not a great desire for adventure right now in the classroom. And maybe it's COVID, like who knows, whatever. But I'm just noticing this pattern. And um, when we talk about reading and stuff, I, I'm like, look, look at the book we're taking up. This is what's happening, you know, try to entice them. And they're just not like, eh. I'm gonna say interested. They, they, they're almost more interested in learning than they are in adventure, which is bizarre. <laughs> Like God. they would rather feel smart. My students, you know, I teach the, you know, upper level, but um, mm -hmm. they, they definitely are interested in feeling smart more than they're interested in going on an adventure. It just is a little scary and, eh, you know, and it just surprises me because I would have always chosen the adventure. Yeah. And as much as I'm learning. And At least. Would come with At least in the I, book. Right. Is this what I'm saying? I'm like, it's totally safe. It's right. in paid. But just, you know, I guess high anxiety times plays in, you know. And I wonder too, I feel like they all, everyone has to be cool now. Like everyone has to be real chill. Like I feel like you're not supposed to get really excited about anything anymore. And that is true. I just wonder if that's connected. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Hmm. That's, which is, which is weird. I'm a so, bit mud. Yeah. Now, if someone had come into my room when I was in middle school and early high school, mm -hmm. my shelf would have been a lot of Dean Koontz. Mm. So not even Stephen King. Okay. So it was, mm -hmm. I, I went through this huge like horror phase and it was a good friend of mine and we would trade books back and forth. And so that I think was that kind of, it was like this adventure. Like it was, this, it was scary, but it was safe mm -hmm. because it was in a book, you know? Um, yeah. And I, that was a huge pull for me for quite a while. Dean Koontz and a uh, book of Jim Morrison poetry and Jewel book of poetry. Like those were my, that was like. It's always been so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you're younger than me. <laughs> well, uh, I wouldn't have dual, but uh, uh, okay. Um, let's just find. Okay, I, I really do want to, you know, we have been saving a conversation of Martha Beck for a long time, and um, maybe we need to do that another time. But I feel like my last question that I wanted to make sure to ask was um, about what you're reading now. And Martha, Beck. you're still on her. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not just, it's funny because I always have, like, I have a stack of books, my by bed, and I have several books in my library app on my phone and on my Kindle. And I feel like sometimes it depends on the mood I'm in, what I'm mm -hmm. going to pick up and read, but I have been reading much more nonfiction lately. And I've been super mm -hmm. into Martha Beck and personal development and um, spirituality. And I'm at this point in my life, I'm 41. And it's, it's like this time when you're like, you kind of go, okay, like, let me look around and see what I have landed on as a life. And mm -hmm is this good? Am I good with this? Does this feel right? 
And when it doesn't, you know, I mean, you, and this is like such a, such a working modern working mom thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're busy and we have our kids and that's just, that's what we're doing. And then, um, you know, we, we're all, everybody's stressed out. I mean, I have been very stressed out and then, um, looking still, still searching. Right. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm still searching. I'm still, I still want, I just want to live in these big questions. Um, and, um, well, let me, let me say this too. I'm just going to jump around. I got, when I was also in my early twenties, like philosophy books, I loved so much because I grew up with an incredibly like black and white system of values and morals and what's right and what's wrong. And I just, what I love so much about philosophy is a lot of it is, is questions. Um, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I, I loved that. That to me was, I think probably where, I, if I said where I found like freedom in, in reading, it, it's probably, it was probably there. Um, anyway, so yeah, I am reading Martha Beck right now, the way of integrity. And it is essentially about learning how to always tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is in the moment, if you, you know, and, and again, not in a moral way, but in a, to save your soul kind well, okay. That sounds really more, but like to save your sanity. Yeah, never mind. It is, but it's like just to save your sanity. And the idea is that we tell these little we tell little lies to save each other's feelings and maybe we tell bigger lies in the way we make decisions about how we live our lives because of what all of the reasons that we do because we were supposed to or we whatever reason we we think we need to 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 lie we do anyway <laughs> that's all messy but the book is about telling the truth all the time no matter what you're whatever it is in the moment and I just find that terrifying I, I and fascinating. What? I would not be good at that. Well, I don't, I don't know if I am, <laughs> you know, but that's yeah, what I love about the book. Yeah. yeah. Is that is it, you know what? It is challenging. It is challenging mm-hmm. because it's, I'm reading this book and she, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of neuroscience in it. You know, there's a lot of research in it and there's a lot of Dante's Inferno in it. So it's all of the things that are my jam. Okay. You know, it's literature and it's science and, and it asks you to challenge yourself um, in a way that's kind of exciting for me at this point in my life. And also really scary because I guess sometimes it's, it's, it's made me wonder sometimes, well, if, if I know what I'm, oh gosh, I feel like there are many times when I, when I know what I don't want and I know what I don't mean, or I know that I didn't mean that, but I don't, I'm not really sure what I do mean instead. Yeah. Um, you know, so whatever that is and, um, man, I like the idea of the truth being the road to happiness. You know, I like, I just, it's a nice little idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm reading. Well, and I think I was, gosh. (laughs) Okay. So I need to, I'm adding that to my list then. (laughs) Yeah. I am 
I have got to get Joan Didion's book of prayer because I think it's going to be quite different than the one I'm reading right now of her work, which is just little article blips. Yeah. She, um, and I'm, I say this because we had spoken earlier about the two things we were reading. Yeah. Um, and my answer was Joan Didion and yours was Martha Beck. So it sounds like I need to read your book next. Okay, well, then we'll switch. So who we, we are women reading women with some very um, deep ideas. We are women reading women. <gasps> women reading women. Um, yeah, yeah. There's some I just love this. But I mean, we could talk about this forever. Because there are times when I've had to like back off from books. I get, I'll get really intense about, about mm -hmm. something like this. Um, and it just makes me think about, because I want to be like, read anything, read everything, like read what, read what just stands out to you. And I do think there's some truth to that, but you know, it just, um, makes me think of the idea of getting your hands on the wrong book for yourself at the wrong time. What, can that be dangerous? I, I don't know, I don't know, can Isn't it? it like, yeah, I don't know, isn't, must be. Or am I, you know, am I, yeah, I'm not trying to ban books. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't, what else? Um, uh, okay uh that's it. i gave myself five questions because i knew that we would have a lot to say um what did we not talk about i i i also wanted to ask this which might be kind of silly but because sometimes you when you read a book it's like the characters that you're attracted to but you're reading nonfiction, so it kind of changes it but my question was going to be like if you could invite an author into your home to sit at a table oh like who would you have join us for a cup of tea oh my oh, god just one but then i thought well maybe i should be asking um is there a character and so then that was like a whole different question but i was just curious character or an author that Emily Dickinson popped into my head. Yeah. But just to be around her. I don't know why. I think I thought of this because when I, I was teaching this week, we were doing visual texts and mm -hmm. I did a lesson on Starry Night and we really got to talking about Vincent Van Gogh and how, what a shame it was that he thought he failed. <gasps> he sold one and, painting, right? While he was alive. Yeah. And it was wow. his brother, who his brother. Um, <laughs> That's even worse. I, I think the brother like tried to hide that from him. But, you know, he just really wanted to have this like colony of artists that live together. And he, I have been reading several of his letters to his um, sister and his brothers. And in his lifetime, he, it was pretty common for him to like mention who the artwork that he had seen for the week and it would list like 10 names you know of like people who he just he's like they're doing amazing things and he's like i 
I can't come to to handle it in the same way they can. You know, I don't know. He just admires them very much. And it would be like names I never heard. And then the next letter, he would be encouraging his brother wherever oh. he was located to stop by such and such museum and check out the works of these people because wow. I know you'll truly like it or find value. And um, I mean, he was just so, I want to say like well-read of other artists. And he just always thought he would never, he was on the verge of um, something good, but he just didn't feel he achieved it. So we so would, we like, would invite him to tell him that that everyone loves him now. You did it, man, Starry <laughs> Night. Which I, wait, in my lesson, I found two uh, quotes in his letters from that room in um, from when he was in the asylum. The window that he was looking out is said to be the scene of Starry Night. Like he painted it while he was there. And that was when like dated right around that same time period. And so he's saying, you know, to paint a night sky is so much more than white dots on black. Mm. He's like the colors, you know, are just, you know, lemony yellow was what he said. Um, and the blue of forget-me-nots and purple hues, he said, it is enough to say that it is a swirl or something like that. Oh, no, even better, this line. Then, because there's one more letter um, that I shared with them, and it was the musings of looking at the stars. He says, he, when he looks at the stars and when they, he sees them as dots in the night sky, uh, they remind him of dots on a map in cities that he visits in France. And he says, you know, what if, you know, just as you can visit cities in France, what if the stars are the heavenly bodies that we can visit and cancer and cholera are just but the means of locomotion to get there. Mm. Mm. And he's like, that we could see one day or something. Well, now it's got to be Van Gogh. Okay, this is yeah. Oh wait, amazing. and then and so he says the words okay. pathway. He's like, and so all of these things are just a pathway to the stars. And I said to my students, I'm like, so now when we look at the painting, what do we notice? And and it was the swirl that we started saying it was the wind. Then we said it was the illumination of the stars. But after reading that letter, everybody was like, it's the pathways. He's painting the pathways to the stars. Okay, which is exactly why. When you are reading visual literacy, anything that context, like how the richness that you get when you know who made it and where they were. I was just reading about Van Gogh, but like as an artist, because I've been like thinking about like colors and like taking classes about how mm -hmm. colors work together and stuff, and his, him being in that um, impression. I'm, I'm going to say all the yeah, wrong words, but impression yeah. is the idea of like using colors to denote emotion. Right. And that was like yeah. unheard of, you know, making people's faces pinks and blues and like you're saying the sky. And so, um, yes, uh, I mean, and I did have one girl at the end of the class said, this was really neat because I like to paint and I love this painting, but I never really thought about it like that. And I was like, Thank you. Like what? Like it just felt so good. I'm like, well, that was the point. That was the objective of the lesson was that you could see more when you know more when you have that context, like you said. Yes. And so oh she got gosh. it. Gosh, you're so good. You're such a good Four teacher. More.
<laughs> got that. Got one. That's all it takes. That's what they got say. Um, During homecoming week, if you can get one, that's a good deal. <laughs> what else was I going to say? Something about Van Gogh. Well, anyway, yeah. He can come to our table. Yes. We could. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you know, about talking about challenging texts, you know, a couple of years ago, I started reading, um, I'm going to say his name, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. So mm. a white, as a white woman feeling like, oh, how many books have I read about being not white in America, you know, and what that experience is like. And, um, you know, those, those can be challenging reads for sure yeah. on a, in a completely different way. Um, but yeah, for, I mean, I, I guess as a reader, when, um, yeah, like that became important to me. I wanted to just read people's stories, you know, that I felt like that was my way of trying to educate myself and advocate and feel like, you know, you want to, I want to feel like I'm an ally. And, and that became a big part of that for me. Mm -hmm. You've always been wanting to be speaking for a greater cause or something. Is that what you mean? Um, I think I want to be on the right side of history. Ah, okay. Um, you know, um, and yeah, like, I guess I want to feel like I'm part of the, not part of the problem, but maybe that's just, you know, that's a whole thing. Do I just, wow, I just want to not feel yeah. like I'm part of the problem. So what am I doing in order so to, reading, reading. I'm reading. I, that's what I, I read. That's what I do first. Yes. Oh, do you remember Joe Zora? Well, Miss Teresa and that book that she gave us of that man who um, was 99 and just learned to read. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. I, well, yeah, I don't know. But that's what that made me think of. Just like that richness oh of gosh. wanting to be on the right side of history and reading that how much I mean, literacy is much more than being able to read. But it, mm -hmm. I, we, we've covered for people who don't know how to read, just like that value of literacy. Yeah. It does mean being able to think. And it does mean being able to be on the right side of history. And it mm -hmm. does mean being able to read. And that's what I want my students to, at school, always I come back to that. But I, I want them to, to, to value it like that. Because it's like all the ideas that you can awaken inside of you. Um, and all the things that are happening in the world, like you can't participate in them really when you don't know them. Yeah. Oh, I just loved getting to talk with my friend and hear her thoughts about stories she values and uh, who she would like to sit at the table with and just share a conversation. And um, I hope that you enjoyed being at our table today and that you found some value in hearing uh, Amanda speak, as I know I did. Um, so until next time, uh, make sure your conversations are meaningful and that you surround yourself with friends. Blessings.